0: Having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. The temperature's rising,
1: it isn't surprising. She certainly can, can, can.
0: It's summertime. And we've got monsters and superheroes, misunderstandings, and we're going to remember Anderson's history day by day. All this and more on the July 31st edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast news from people you trust. Other than every place we go, uh, people saying hot enough for you. It's been another great week in Anderson. Lots to talk about. Of course, the Pokemon fever is still continuing to take over our young people. We're going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. Meanwhile, the Anderson County Library is expecting hundreds of folks, young and old, to the upcoming Electric City Comic Con, and they're going to be costume heroes and villains, and comic and literature uh, writers are going to be there on hand. That's this coming Saturday. Uh, if you want to get out there it's free it's all day long so i've I've talked to one of the librarians we're going to talk about that here in just a minute and also caught up with anderson historian brian scott about his new book taking us through a year in the history of anderson day by day as always the anderson observer podcast news from people you trust is brought to you by sullivan's metropolitan grill and com. sullivan's metropolitan grill downtown is the most unbelievable restaurant in Anderson. It's one of the top 100 restaurants in the United States. One of only two in South Carolina chosen on that list. And people drive from Atlanta and Charlotte and everywhere. It's been written up in the Wall Street Journal and all the culinary magazines and Southern Living and just about anything you can think of and Bill Nickerson and his wife Sabra have built that place uh, into an amazing place. They really kicked off. Bill took a chance almost 20 years ago and helped start the renaissance of downtown Anderson and Sullivan's is now the real cornerstone of that. If you haven't been to Sullivan's lately, you need to get down there. Their lunch is tremendous and the prices are amazing. Go for lunch someday and tell me you didn't save money. Their dinners, best place for any special occasion, best place for any place, best desserts on the planet. Go by and give them a try. And don't forget, Sullivan's has the best catering in town. A number of people have told me they heard this commercial and called down to to get a, a price for their catering for their wedding or special event, and that Sullivan's was significantly cheaper, and they were really surprised by that. Their prices are great. So visit them at their website, Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, or on Facebook. You can find them either place, and all the information you know to contact them is right there. And don't forget, it is as good as it gets. This past week also had a very interesting news story. Um, it involved the legal conclusion to, at least we think, to the case of former Anderson County Councilman Eddie Moore's stealing a community petition asking the South Carolina Department of Transportation to stop Moore's attempt to close a road which runs across his property. Uh, it started with Moore losing his bid to return to County Council uh, District Three seat. Earlier this year, and after he lost the runoff election, he moved ahead on attempting to close roadie Farm Road, which split across his property. He had petitioned the state to take over the road, and was uh, given tentative approval with certain provisions. And I, I believe among those provisions was not the option to shut completely close the road uh, down in a wholesale manner. Well, when the news of this came out. Moore said that the reason he wanted to do that was trash along that, that road on his property it was one of his reasons for closing it. So the community got together and a group of volunteers went out and cleaned up all the trash along the road, which is uh, they say is widely used and critical to the safety for emergency vehicles. Meanwhile, the petition they had started, uh, the foremost one at South Carolina uh, 81 Souths, Ready Mart, uh, had about 200 and some odd signatures. Uh, asking the South Carolina Department of Transportation to prohibit him from closing the road. Well, that petition vanished shortly after the cleanup. So you can imagine people were kind of upset and wondering what what was going on. Well, a video surveillance video shows Moore entering the Ready Mart, taking a newspaper to the counter to purchase and then sliding the petition inside the newspaper after he purchased the uh, or before he purchased the paper and before he exited the store. A warrant in the case seeking to file charges of theft of the petition was presented to Anderson County Magistrate Mary Frances Cole, who was appointed to the position in October of 2015 by South Carolina Senator Kevin Bryant. Well, despite arguments from Anderson County Sheriff John Skipper that believed his officer presented a real case for a warrant and for arrest, the Magistrate Cole refused to sign a warrant, so Moore was not officially charged. Uh, Moore had returned the petition, Uh, After the Observer ran, broke the news and then ran a video of the whole thing, he called it a misunderstanding. So Moore did not admit necessarily to stealing, but he said it was a misunderstanding. And in my viewpoint, the only misunderstanding was that the former councilman did not understand that there were security cameras in the building. But even though he returned this petition, a warrant should have been issued in this case. A former elected official stealing from the community in what looks like a move of retribution against those who didn't vote for him he should be held to higher standards. Even if the, the sentence were reduced to community service, I don't think this is something you need to do a lot of jail time for, but if any of the rest of us had taken something like that, I think the warrant would have been sworn out. More clear, clearly should have been held accountable for the legal misdeeds that he committed, and it's, it's unfortunate that it didn't happen. Again, the only misunderstanding was that the former councilman did not understand that there were security cameras in the building. That was the only misunderstanding here, nothing else. Well, this, this, this incident, as you can imagine, has inflamed residents of the district. And despite it not ending with the justice that they had hoped for and really should have happened, um, with the, the magistrate signing and serving a warrant, Uh, Hopefully this will put an end to any future political aspirations and any influence and leadership of any kind that former Councilman Moore has in this county. Um, This this incident should not be forgotten. And the South Carolina Department of Transportation should continue their investigation on the issue of Roadie Farm Road and stop stop Moore from shutting it down. Stay tuned to the Anderson Observer and the Anderson Observer podcast news from people you trust for more updates on this. And uh, you can find out more on Facebook. There's a Save Roadie Farm Road web, uh, Facebook page and some other information that you can find. it. You can also find the video on the Anderson, Anderson Uh Look for the story on uh, former councilman, and you'll see the entire video if you want to see it for yourself. And nothing has made things <laughs> worse than the heat. Uh, that's all anybody can talk about, and for good reason. We're having a long, record heat spell. We've been above average. We've been in the mid to upper 90s for almost two months now, which is... Completely out of character. It's been the warmest year on record. And uh, despite a few uh, scattered thunderstorms and late afternoon uh, storms have helped helping some people, they've not helped very much, and I haven't seen very many of them either. And I hear a lot of people saying that we're in the dog days of summer now, and that phrase is being thrown around a lot. I heard it on television. I've heard people in various stores and, and restaurants talking to each other about it. And I, I kind of joined a lot of people, always thought that the dog days were those summer days so devastatingly blistering hot that even the dogs would just lie around panning trying to get through it. But um, the, the the phrase means something totally different than that. It originally had nothing to do with dogs at all or even the lazy days of summer Instead, it turns out that the dog days refer to the dog star Sirius and its position in the heavens. Uh, the The Greeks and the Romans said the dog days occurred around the days when Sirius appeared to rise just before the sun, which was in late July normally, and they refer to these days as the hottest time of the year, that period that could bring fever or even devastating c- tata- catastrophe to the culture back then. Um, one person said that if you go back as far as Homer the Iliad, uh, the dog days refer to Sirius as Orion's dog, and that describes the stars being associated with war and disaster. So throughout Greek and Roman literature, you find all these things about the dog days. So the phrase dog days was translated from Latin into English about 500 years ago, and since then it has taken on all the new meanings that we, we use. So now people come out with expanded explanations on why the dog days are summer like the ones we're having now. Our time is when the dogs go crazy, which is another one I've heard people say my whole life. Uh, It's a very human tendency, I guess, that when we take the the origin of something, of a phrase, and we try to come up with a plausible explanation. So even though it was serious, the dog star, it is now, that meaning is completely completely lost, but the phrase kind of lives on. So even though it may not be officially the dog days, it is hot. And I know my dog doesn't like it, so... And even though the, these hot, long days do bring some misery, they also bring some very good things, and that's the, the good things you can get at the Anderson County Farmer's Market on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can fill your basket with the freshest, tastiest locally grown fruits and vegetables you can find anywhere anywhere. Uh, I won't uh, launch my summer tomato soliloquy again here. i have had my say on that, but I will say that the peaches coming in are really good and ripe, as are the blueberries, blackberries, there's cantaloupe, watermelon, squash, beans, green beans, peas, onions, pretty much anything you could want is out there. And these farmers are coming out those days and taking time out to brave the heat to sell these things to you, so I hope you can get out and visit them. It's actually had pretty good breezes there amidst all the heat there. So if you're there, you'll likely see me around with a camera talking to people so say hello but that's the farmer's market it's open tuesday thursdays and saturdays from 8 a.m to 1 p.m and i hope to see you out there it almost makes this heat worthwhile sometimes when you think we live in a place that does have very distinct seasons and our summer is what we're uh the price we're paying for these these great fruits and vegetables if you go on thursday uh you can uh drop by there and then later on thursday go to the downtown block party Uh, those have all been great this year been some amazing concerts down there no matter what the weather um, a couple of weeks ago, I know uh, Mac, the Mac Arnold concert in Plateful Blues was just amazing. And the thunderstorm that came just after everybody got to their cars to get home was a really nice ending to that concert. Um, breezes have been good in Carolina Rim Park as well, too. And the kids love the water down there if you have kids. So hope to see you down there. I know Carrie Jones continues to do just an amazing job keeping that thing going as a volunteer. And it's just it shows you what somebody wanting to do something for his town can do. And we do, as always, appreciate the work Carrie Jones does. And, of course, don't forget while you're down there, you can cool off with uh, lunch, dinner, or just dessert at Solomon's Metropolitan Grill, which is just a block away, a short walk away. And another way to cool off is to think cool thoughts. And remember, it's only 148 days until Christmas. And that means you have permission from the Oddfell- fellas Lodge and from holiday hoots like me to uh, go ahead and sneak a Christmas song or two in on the, your MP3 player, your radio, your your dvr whatever you listen to your music on it's not that long 148 days away and that one reminds me don't wait to book your christmas parties you can call sullivan's to do that uh if you want to prepare that for that now Uh, another christmas uh person who's a little a little bit crazy about it like i am is anderson historian Brian Scott, uh, we got together just a couple, uh, about a week ago, and not to talk about Christmas, but to talk about something more important. He's got a new book coming out that talks about the history of Anderson County. It's called A Year in the Life, Volume 1, which is a daily historical diary of our home county. And Brian has really taken on the mantle of of local historian like very few other people have uh, nobody's really doing what he's doing and trying to chronicle our history and explore our history. He takes his days and goes out and looks for, for that information and tries to document it. And I always enjoy having him on the podcast. It's been a while.
2: Yeah, been a couple, couple of weeks, a couple of months. <laughs> and yeah, it's
0: been at least three or four months yeah. probably. And we're going to catch up with, uh, if you if you followed the history of Anderson, uh, I guess you're sort of the guy carrying the, the banner right now.
2: Right? Yeah, pretty much which I is mean, fine. I like that. You no,
0: know, it's uh, here. This generation's yeah. Fred Whitten, so. yeah. I mean because really there are always one or two people every generation right. who decide to pick that up and go with it.
2: Yeah, people call me, you know, the new Hurley batters and and Hurley some of the other batters, names, which yeah, is which Hurley. is to me just a great honor because they did a, They did a great job um laying down, you know, the, the 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 history and preserving it all. And man,
0: Hurley was up there in Pendleton when that office was just oh, it mean, yeah. was just stacks of paper That's yeah. all it that was. Yeah. You go in there now, it's all nice and oh, clean. Oh, I know. I'm sure he'd be thinking what in the world what? <laughs> <laughs>
2: but you uh, can see it now
0: Yeah, and uh, so let's talk about First we We're talking about before we started You got two new books coming out? You yes, say?
2: two new books coming out um, One is, um, it, it's in uh, an editing form right now uh, And it's basically January through June Of the Anderson County Day in Histories Um, So what I've done is I've taken the January to June's, kind of rewritten some of them, added titles to all of them, um, edited them all. And so I'm in the process of getting this ready. This should be done in about uh, another week or two. Uh, So this will cover everything from January 1st through June 30th uh, in Anderson's history. Each day is a different year, of course. And that's what I did on purpose. So it gives you just whatever was big news that day. Uh, It could be a mule kicking a barrel over. It could be the dedication of the courthouse. You know, Cornerstone, just whatever was news that particular day, and then I'll do a second volume, which will be uh, July 1st through the end of, of December. Uh, so, in you know, two books, you'll have pretty much a whole capsule of of, of Anderson's history.
0: Well, do you have any <clears throat> any particular days that jump out at you, or either either volume that you just you um, can't get
2: out of your head when you? Well, yes, suicides. Um, um, Ulysses Seabit's suicide is 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 one that jumps out. I mean, primarily because it has a connection with where I work, um, the the Seabit House. Uh, is now called the Taylor House. It's right across from Taylor's Stockyard there on Belton Highway. And the Seabits built the house around the turn of the century, and Ulysses Seabit was a uh, uh, fairly well-to-do merchant in Anderson, and um, he ran into some financial troubles, and he and his wife and his son were arguing in the uh, front parlor of the Seabit House about uh, how to send his son back to school. Father got very depressed, pulled out a pistol, shot himself in the head, Um, there in front of his family. And so that's one of the early stories in that, well, that caused me to be a little interested in the house itself. So after uh, Ulysses Seabit committed suicide, his wife and son moved out of the house. The house went into a receivership. A man moved into the house to take care of the house. He was subsequently burned in a fire a couple of weeks later. Uh, He survived the fire, but he moved out of the house. Then the house was bought by another family, and they were in the house for about a, a month or so, until their oldest son was burned to death in an electrical fire, so you have three major incidences in the space of six months in on one piece of property. So, it's a
0: Halloween story, exactly.
2: It? It's 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 an interesting piece, but that, that that that's just one of those stories that are in there, and then and then you have other things. How about uh, something a little lighter? Little lighter, little lighter. <laughs> little lighter. Uh, well, you know, you have things like uh, you know, the dedication of the courthouse, or the fact that the uh, first Presbyterian church, the cornerstone of that church, um, is full of archive material valuable documents coins photographs and all kind of treasures that are hidden in the walls of that church and we talk about that are they open well. it up, i have no idea because you'd have to almost take the take the cornerstone out of the out of the building to do that and most of these cornerstones are put in there for you know preserving and they weren't designed to be removed unless you're going to take the cornerstone out because in in it, it's it's inside that that stone is a, 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 a usually a metal box right. that's holding all the documents um so, you know, that was just amazing when I went ran across that story, that these treasures are hidden in the walls of a church. Uh, marriages, um, uh, house dedications, all kind of interesting stuff's in there.
0: How about family names that you still see today? Oh, still? there's
2: Ors and Sullivan's. Um, I'll be talking in the second volume about uh, some of the Tali family members and some of the things that they were involved in. Um, uh, today's, actually, it'll, it'll be published later on the day one of the, the Sullivan died, and we'll be talking about that later on in today's Anderson history, so... Um and um so the family names are very important in this and and the people of who they are
0: mm-hmm. yeah I thought they one uh for today about people who forgotten the train that used to run yeah, and it, it backed up right from Anderson to Belton. Is that-
2: it well it was it was uh well the 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 initial line from Anderson to Belton was so people could get onto the main trains going up the east coast when they extended it out to Walhalla that opened up Anderson to pretty much the whole western part of the country. Right. Um, and, and I thought it was interesting, and yesterday said that they were bragging that you could drive, you could take a trip from Anderson to Atlanta in 12 hours. I thought, wow, you know, that's, I guess that's that's big time well, for back then. traffic in Atlanta, about right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's including three hours of shopping time while you were there. So, you know, you, you could do a whole day in Atlanta right. um, by train. And and, and I guess that, that was exciting back then. Oh, yeah. Because, you, know, you know, a trip from here to Belton you know, by horse would take you a know, better part of a day. And and train time cut it down to a few hours, and now we can do it in twenty minutes. You know? Yeah,
0: we forget how relatively recent
2: yeah mass transit being able to get yeah. somewhere, you know yeah and, and and what the the you know the windows and opportunities that opened up for folks.
0: Why well, not? My dad would tell stories about growing up on a farm, and they would uh, you know farmers sometimes would just swap out, you know, mm-hmm. and so they would actually get in the wagon and ride up to toward Gaffney to pick peaches, Because right. they didn't grow them here, yeah. and then they would have people come down and get stuff from their garden, you yeah. know, their farm, and yeah.
2: So, uh, it took a long you know, time to ride in a wagon up those. <laughs> and 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 looking back at these old these old stories really opens up what life was like back then, and and the things that you had to go through, and, and the things you did for fun. You know, you went to hear someone give a lecture, and that was entertainment. Um, I, and, and I thought that was kind of interesting, and also to see the evolution of of where places were over over you know Anderson's history, where the buildings might have gone, where businesses relocated, and, and, and how the city grew, especially after the Civil War. Most of the facts in this book come, come into play after the Civil War because that's when the newspapers were, were, were being printed. How much
0: documentation.
2: And, right, and the newspapers are pretty much my main source for the the, the, the point of the book. Um, there are not that many books on Anderson's history, so right. I pull what dates I could from them. Most of it's coming from the newspapers.
0: Now, the oldest, the oldest building downtown is the Masonic Lodge, right? Um, I think that's 1847 it, it, I think
2: it's the Well, it's the oldest organization downtown The lodge itself, the, the building is That's the third lodge It's the right, second lodge at The building
0: itself, though, is the oldest building
2: No, it was built in the 1880s um, I don't think there is one that's from the 1840s still Most of those were would have, Like the, 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 um, the east and west sides of the square Were your oldest retail buildings And those are all gone at this point
0: well, that's interesting because, and, 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 and I don't have the documentation. Mm-hmm. I know Slim Hemmer used to tell me that. You know, he okay. was editor for fifty years, right. and he told me it was. Well, there was a lodge
2: there built in the eighteen forties, and then there's no photograph of that building. That building was torn down, and the new lodge was built. So that may be what he was referring about. It's because it, there. I wish there has he was been. still around.
0: Guys like that, yeah. they had the yeah. There has 50 been fifty years of editor of the, editor of the okay. paper. You know, Slim knew who knew
2: everything. He did everything. Right. Yeah, he yeah. Well, back back everything. then, the editor the paper did know everything.
0: Well, and, and having multiple papers right. helped uh, yeah. with Did did you follow your family's history while doing all this? Have you done um, that
2: I, kind of stuff? I've, I've, I, I haven't done a lot of my family's genealogy for a couple of years, mainly because I, my mom did a whole bunch of work. I did a lot of work. I ran into a lot of brick walls, and I was waiting for more census data to come out. Um, so my goal is to get into that a little bit more. Most of my family's history, though, came from the Abbeville area. They moved up to Anderson around 1900. So researching the Abbeville part has been the most interesting part to me and find out how they lived, where they lived. Because once they got here, I pretty much know kind of what happened to them. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's some good stories and some bad stories and everything I get by his family.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, you always
2: dig up the skeletons. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, if you've got that other family, we we need to talk to you because even Jesus's family
2: history had something Oh yeah,
0: you. <laughs> so if you got him to you're so... Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, look back at my family, I had, I had, I had pastors and businessmen and a uh, couple of horse thieves and murderers and you know you Could always the same person. Too. Exactly. You know. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> but I also try to incorporate a lot of African American history in the book because that I think is something that's missing and and finding positive ways to tell the stories. So a lot of times the newspapers would talk about uh, a lot of the African American citizens in town and they weren't necessarily in the most positive light. And so, trying to find positive stories has been a little bit of a challenge. But I mean, the first story in the book is is about Emancipation Day and how the African American churches were having parades and speeches and bands. And so, you know, there was there was a, a a good culture back then that was that was growing. And even the fact that the city of Anderson opened up Church Street to the African American community way before. You know anybody thought about desegregating anything and said, "Here, let's let's build a a a a, a, a district for your businesses, a thriving
0: business it community." For, and I know they're doing the the downtown yeah Third Street Heritage Corridor thing mm-hmm. down there now. I'm yeah, not sure what all that entails, but
2: it's going to be interesting what all they well they come up with. I'm excited to see it. You know, any any time to me, you can put green space in downtown Anderson. I'm happy because there's just not a lot of it, so I'm, yeah. I'm I'm excited to see that.
0: Right now, another book coming out this week.
2: Another book's coming out, and this one was actually. Um, Uh, I wasn't planning on it. Uh, When I went to um, the battlefield this past weekend, uh, Rivers Bridge, I noticed they had a nice guidebook. It was $6 for the guidebook. And I picked it up, and I was thumbing through it. And uh, I thought, this would be really kind of a neat thing to do for the Battle of Anderson. There isn't anything written about the Battle of Anderson. So um, I I sat down Monday the 4th, because I had to come home from my trip early, and sat down around 4 o'clock that afternoon and started writing a pamphlet or a booklet on the Battle of Anderson. About 130 I finished it. And so it it, it it covers the entire scope of the battle from uh, sort of the end of the war, what Anderson was like during the war. Uh, I found some great accounts of the refugees that were in Anderson. There were about 70 families that came up from Charleston that lived here. Uh, I found some of their accounts of, about what was life was like in Anderson during that time period. And that was kind of interesting to read their perspective of, of the war. Anderson was a A key place for refugees to come during the war because it was away from any battles. There were no battles fought in the area. Plus, it was on a main train route for the soldiers. So there were always troops coming through Anderson. So the the news uh, of the war was, was very fresh here in town. They didn't have a newspaper at the time. It had stopped being published during the war. So they didn't have any way to get any news. Um, and uh, so having the troops come in was, was a big help to them. So having these 70 families live in town, they were living with family members, they were staying in hotels, wherever they could be put up, the city just opened their arms to these to these folks. Uh, and so they, were, they had a lot of neat stories to tell. And so I talk about that in the pamphlet. Um, I talk about the Battle of Anderson itself. What one kind of those Trump things you're talking about, and mm-hmm.
0: we've been after that. I want to talk about the Battle of Anderson sure. next, but one of them, before I forget it, in mm-hmm. one of your days in history, uh, I think you had... Uh, a letter from General North thanking Anderson yes. for... If you want to tell him,
2: Yeah. Um, the, uh, th- at one time, there were half a dozen or so federal graves, Union soldier graves in Old Silverbrook. And um, during uh, Decoration Day, which was the early forerunner to, to, to Memorial Day, uh, school's children would go out and place flags on the different graves, and they would always remember the union troops along with the federal troops and decorate those graves as well so there was this sense of it doesn't matter anymore we're all americans here uh and 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 so they would they would honor all the veterans it didn't matter which side they fought on and uh, it was a governor actually uh, from uh, new england state that heard about it and wrote a very nice letter thanking people for what they did eventually the troops were re up north their families had the bodies moved up north um, but it was neat to know that they were here and they were they were taken care of just like the, just like everybody else.
0: How do we get that governor elected to something?
2: <laughs> and where do we get these children? <laughs> I know, go? I know, we'll have to raise them up from the dead. <laughs> yeah, we've lost that. <laughs> we yet, have, so we so have, more. we. And it's and you know, and I will, There was a huge, uh and, and this will be in one of the later versions or editions of the book as well. There was a huge um, Confederate um, reunion here in the 1880s, and uh, a lot of, of people from the Union side visited as well. So you had this, again, it was almost almost like they looked at it as, okay, we made this big mistake, let's all be good now. Let's all be nice to each other, let's all get along. We learn from our mistakes, and we're all, we're all Americans, and, and and we're better for it. Um, and, and that may be a simplistic way of looking at it, but that seems to be what I'm I'm gathering from the statements and the speeches that I've heard.
0: Well, it's weird. It's a very strange war. I mean, yeah. and, and as over the years, as more and more people have done, kind of what you're doing, finding these narratives and stories of, you know, huge battles, and then during a break they would exchange tobacco, right. and talk to each other, and right. go
2: back and start shooting each other. Right. And yeah. Not like. Not you know, like today. No. Not like know. and not
0: like other wars really. No. The, no. No.
2: I mean it was all you know you're all, you're, you're all walking yeah. you you didn't have transport to take people places you had thousands of people just moving across you know the the, the eastern seaboard and, and and fighting wherever they happen to run across each other so
0: So when's that book coming out
2: This one um hopefully uh I have the draft copy should be in Thursday um, it's only around 20, 25 pages. It's just a little pamphlet. Okay. Um, and so it'll be out um, probably, hopefully by the end of the month.
0: And your stuff's at the museum, right? Uh, the
2: sure. museum, you can order it online. I try to get it in different places depending right. on what, what the type of the book is about. Um, but the mu- museum's been very helpful with getting the books in there and making sure they're and available.
0: Before we go any further, the easiest way to get to that is Facebook or
2: you um, try e- to remember your website? Or? Uh, you, you can go to lulu.com and you can search for Brian Scott or you can go to the um, uh, my Facebook page under the Kudzu. And I'll always be posting information about there, about the books that are coming out, where they're available, things like that. Right. Yeah.
0: And Lulu Lulu was, of course, great on hee before,
2: yeah. <laughs> before she started
0: publishing, publishing books. <laughs> books. Now, now, how many books do you have total after before these two come out? Well, uh, that one's coming out already.
2: Four, and then these two here will make six. Um, okay. remind,
0: and then, me, remind me again what you've got.
2: Sure. I have a book on uh, Old Silverbrook that covers all of the obituaries for the first uh, 20 years or so of Silverbrook's history, a uh, book on Christmas Carol history, But do you recall about 25 Christmas carols? Um, Weren't you
0: going to do a follow-up to that?
2: I am doing a follow-up to it. It, That that book's going to be probably like every other year. I
0: got you.
2: Um, So there won't be one this year. Next Christmas there'll be a follow-up to that, which will be 25 more Christmas carols. And I'm thinking about doing uh, like a series of Christmas books, like 25 stories about December 25th or 25 people who were born on Christmas Day or something something like that that kind of – Keep some interest going about Christmas, and every so often have a new book like that are come out. Are you a Christmas kind of guy? I love Christmas. Yeah, I I, from, from 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 Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas—those are my three holidays. Boy. I love them all. Yeah,
0: you started Christmas music yet?
2: Uh, not yet, but I am in. The, I, it's always in my mind. <laughs> I, I, I played a song the other day, just really, just to get on my family's nerves. I know. Uh, yeah, I said, I'm starting early this year. I could I could play Christmas, and th- th- that was the neat thing about writing that book last year was all year long I was thinking about Christmas carols, and that was kind of neat to have that in my connection. Yes.
0: So you remember the big. Parades yeah. downtown, yeah, and I do. you know, it was a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. You could still shop.
2: And- it was a very big deal, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, and I, I, when uh, Abe was talking about, Abe, Abe Hardesty talking about doing uh, the piece on the um, uh, July 4th celebrations, and mm-hmm. I mentioned the fire hydrants painted. Right, and he found a picture of one and I thought that's I I haven't seen one since I was a kid so Anderson had all kind of celebrations that was bicentennial year too yeah that right? was bicentennial yeah yeah Um, and, and they were just all kind of celebrations I've got to see do. if I
0: can if I ever get back in my attic <laughs> see if I still have the Christmas City USA stuff oh because Anderson they're printed up it, the old Chicola used mm-hmm. to store the Christmas stuff right so we used to hang out up there when I was Teenager, those right. teenagers did such a thing. that in the top of the Calhoun. They were open. They, <laughs> they were know? open, yeah. Nobody ever jumped. Nobody ever, you know. But uh, it was full of reindeer and stuff. Right. But there was a box, honest to goodness, it was one of those uh, shipping crates like they ship books in, you know, right. about four feet tall and five, full of buttons with a poinsettin on it. It said Anderson, South Carolina, Christmas City, USA. Wow. Obviously, they never gave them out because yeah. there were too many of them up there. So somebody thought they were going to launch that and never did. Mm. But. Uh, mm. That, that, that
2: sticks in my mind. Well, some of the some of the celebrations that Anderson did for Christmas were really kind of neat. Um, I found an article from the 1880s, and they were they were lamenting that you know Christmas had gotten too commercial, and they were talking about celebrations from 75 years earlier. So Anderson's early early days, and some of the celebrations were actually kind of neat. You would um, if you if you got a gun for Christmas, it was completely acceptable to go to your neighbor's house early in the morning and shoot the gun off his outside his bedroom window. That way you woke him up, y'all could go hunting and get your Christmas meal. Um <laughs> Show while off your you gun. Exactly. While you were gone hunting, your wives would get together and they would cook something called raw, which was a a spiced warm whiskey. And you would drink that when you got back from there'd be in a big black kettle over the fire, and they would drink that to warm up when they got back from hunting while the wives were getting the you know the game ready for, for whatever Christmas dinner they were gonna do. Uh, fireworks were huge at Christmas celebrations in early Anderson days, and there were reports of the um, the sheriffs and the police chiefs even warning teenagers, don't shoot them near bell- cotton bales, don't be near tender boxes. try to keep away from anything <laughs> that might light on fire, you know. Because fire was, fire was a big danger back then. Most yeah. stuff were built by wood, or built with wood. So A good part of
0: downtown, bro.
2: Oh yeah, several times. So you had you had to make sure you were careful with that. But Christmas celebrations were kind of neat. You know, there wasn't the whole Santa Claus thing, right. because that could really come into play until the the late Victorian era, but it was more of a just a nice. It was a community celebration type event, uh, where everybody just sort of got together and just just had fun.
0: Well, people, I think, tended to celebrate more. Yeah, I mean, they worked harder. and that's, yes. let's face it. Nobody wants to go back to you know working yourself to death when you're 50 years old. Yes, they worked harder and they didn't have luxuries at all. But right. when it was time to celebrate, they celebrated. Oh,
2: they did. I mean, I mean, yeah. The 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 stories in your Field Day was 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 a huge day. We talk about this in the book McCann's. Um, um, even uh, EC McCann celebrated or sponsored this this big field day for the county schools, and there were, including the parents and the teenage or the uh, uh, kids and teachers and administrators, there were close to twenty five thousand people fed at One of Us Park. Um, so it was not uncommon to have just thousands of people show up for events, you know, and you're lucky nowadays to get a hundred people show up at something, but these people would drive from all over the place to come to these events because there, there wasn't anything else to do. Um, and you came and you spent the whole day here. So it was, it was, you know, the July 4th celebration we talk about in, um, uh, not this book, but in the, in the next book, it was no alcohol served, but everybody had a great time and thousands of people showed up. Uh, so it was it was something that they just did back then, even May Day yeah may Day was a huge, huge yeah. thing, yeah huge thing we and and may day we talk a lot about May Day in the uh, Battle of Anderson I, I can
0: tell you right now as early as late as the early sixties when I was in grammar school, mm-hmm. the girls were still doing so the, the may okay yeah
2: i vaguely remember a little bit of May Day celebration growing up, But not a lot, yeah, but it was a huge day it was it was almost like Memorial Day, Because uh, it was sort of the first summer ish or uh-huh. warmish holiday that people would do, and they would go out to Silverbrook. Uh, Before it was a cemetery and you had a a, a band stage pavilion. There was a a goldfish pond that's still there. Uh, Bridges would cross the creek. The creek was much bigger than it is nowadays. And they would cross the creek and there were uh, sitting areas and benches. And so it was this big park and that's where the May Day celebration would take place. They'd have the poles and the dances and, and everything out there. And of course, we talk like so. We talk a lot about that in the um, Battle of Anderson. You know, book. When that park closed, do you remember why? It, well, it closed because they were turned into a cemetery. Right. It was. It was initially. Uh, it was in the 1880s, and someone wrote a letter to the newspaper and said, "We need a cemetery in Anderson because there wasn't a municipal cemetery. Right. People were using the first Presbyterian mm-hmm. cemetery, and it was getting full, and it was church property. So the city bought so many acres of the Silverberg property from a um, a brown lady, and uh, she. Uh, so, well, let's, let's use it as a park slash cemetery. So it was sort of a multi-purpose, you know, usage. Um, and then eventually the park kind of slid out and people decided we don't really want to go play around in a cemetery anymore. So it became, you know, became, you know, Silverbrook. Right.
0: It's a shame they didn't really replace that.
2: It did. Kind of- it, 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 but if you go and you know what to look for, you can see the goldfish pond still. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's on the other side of the creek on the, um, 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 Shockley Ferry side of the road, and it's it's all overgrown, but you can still see sort of this round outcrop of, of where it's overgrown. And my granddad remembers going down there when he was alive as a, as, as a teen, and he said there'd be goldfish you know, in the pond, huge goldfish wow. in the pond.
0: Yeah, they said they get as big as the pond, right? Yeah, yeah. The pond they'll, they'll,
2: like... they'll keep growing as long as you keep feeding them.
0: All right. Uh, what about other holidays? I mean, did, did you, like... I know Halloween sort of came later, but
2: then yeah.
0: Thanksgiving. Good- Wasn't
2: really a Thanksgiving, because it, I mean, it was Lincoln that really pushed the whole thing. I, right. I, I, I mean, you, you, you have your mentions of Thanksgiving and stuff like right. that. July 4th was a pretty big celebration.
0: Which is not as much in the South, other places a lot of times. It's,
2: it's, it's, and, and essentially that Anderson had huge July 4th celebrations, and we don't have them anymore as a right. city. I mean, other cities do. Anderson just doesn't have a July 4th celebration. Right. Um, and, but that was another one that was celebrated. Uh, New Year's Day wasn't that big of a deal, you know. And you had things like Valentine's Day. There would be a Valentine's Day ball and stuff like that. So you had events that you know referenced certain holidays. Um, but uh, you said the
0: cotton ball New Year's thing. Cotton ball was
2: a, yeah. Cotton ball was a pretty that was big for one. a very narrow. It, yeah, it was a certain yeah tiny group of people. Right. Yeah. Just yeah, those that could afford to go. Um, yeah, so that that was going on, and um, you know, so so holidays were big because again, you, you didn't have anything else to do. And this was a way to bring everybody together. But then every week you had sales day, which was sort of a, a, an unofficial holiday, if you will. That was the day that everybody came to town. And you know, all your farmers would come to town, and they would crowd the square with their goods. And so you'd have animals and feed and, and, and livestock and, and materials that you could all buy. And, and as great as all that sounds, it had to stink. Just because you know it's the middle of summer, and you've got fifteen cows down on main street and but you know everybody knew this, and it was all dirt and it was all you know um just just you know the way you live back then mm-hmm. uh
0: do you think as we go forward, it's going to be harder in some ways for historians because there's such a massive amount of
2: I, yes um one of the things I do in the, in the, in the year in a life book is I, is I dedicate it to the people like curly batters who, who preserved without them. there there. This book wouldn't be here. Right. Um, there's no record of Anderson really. And, and, and this has prompted me to, to, to go further and then actually create a, you know, more of a record of Anderson to, 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 to preserve for people so that they can go back and see, you know, Anderson's history and, 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 and read it. Um, I'm, I'm writing a more formal history of Anderson, um, that will be sort of multi-volume type work. Um, and that's gonna be, you know it'll be done when it's done. <laughs> right. So, you know, not really in a hurry to get that out, right. out. But this 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 will give people a good taste of what Anderson's history is like is sort of the fun things that happened and the the sad things that happened and the good things and the small things. Well you're still young
0: enough to start the other one.
2: Oh yes. Well I actually started it um, the, the the first volume will cover Anderson's history up to the Civil War. Okay. Okay. And and, and I'm delving into a lot of things that people probably haven't associated with Anderson's history, such as the Indian Wars uh, and how Anderson, how Anderson County got its shape is all from treaties. There, there's, no very, there's very few natural boundaries except for the Savannah and the Saluda. The northern and southern boundaries were created by treaty. There's no line there in the, in the ground. Um, we talk about um, some of the things that I, that, that I learned in my research is Anderson has a lot of, of dual histories, you had two men who found a Pendleton. You had two Pendletons. You had you had dual things in in in, in its history that I found very interesting. Uh, especially looking at the two different Pendletons. A lot of people don't think of them as being two, but they really were two distinctive Pendletons. The first one was a a Presbyterian strict Andrew Pickens Robert Anderson Pendleton. The second was an Episcopalian Charleston-influenced Pendleton. Um, and, and they had completely different cultures to the point that where Pickens was just disgusted with the Episcopalian Pendleton, and he left and moved up to his last plantation up in Oconee County. Um, so he, he you know, that's an all a very interesting history, um, and and the lifestyle that was going on in, in Pendleton at the time, from some of the court records, is pretty um, controversial. They, they they make reference to a lot of the outside of marriage livings and the the out of wedlock children, people who were married living with people that they aren't married to, and, and so there was a lot of interesting things going on in Pendleton at that at that time. So I'll talk a little bit about that, how Pendleton became Anderson, what led to the break up of the, the different counties, um, the creation of the Washington district. So there's a lot of history that a lot of people may not be aware of that we go into that book. And it's 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 a fairly detailed uh, you know volume. And so that'll cover pretty much up to the Civil War. Well, I think that, a lot of people will enjoy that. Yeah. So my my goal is to have that up by the end of the year. I'm not really tied to any goal with that because um, you know if I get a couple of books out a year, I feel like I've done something.
0: Yeah, because you got some other gigs. But you, oh uh, yes. We mentioned your Christmas book. What other yeah. books do
2: you have? Uh, you we know? have a Christmas Carol book, uh, the uh, cookbook, and Tell the, what the cookbook is yeah the cookbook um, is a uh, collection of about thirty recipes that I gathered uh, pulled out of an old Anderson newspaper. And each recipe had a name attached to it, uh, historic or her historic South Carolina figure. And so I have a biography of them and then the recipe itself. The paper didn't really discuss why the person liked the recipe. So I don't really include that in. I don't know why they may have liked it. But some of the recipes you can kind of see why they may have, have appreciated it. One that was interesting was uh, something called Red Horse Cakes. And it was a favorite recipe of John C. Calhoun. And I can understand why because he traveled a lot. It's basically cornbread with hot sauce in it. And as anybody knows who makes cornbread, it's, it'll keep for a couple of days. It gets hard, but you dip it in milk, and it's just completely you know, e- edible. And so they would make cornbread or cornbreads uh, a lot in the South. And in researching these recipes, I, I kind of uncovered some interesting facts about our, our, our culinary history down here. Um, flour was not really prevalent up until the 20th century. So cornmeal, because we grew a lot of corn down here, was the main staple for people's diets. So you had cornbreads in just about every meal that you would you would make. You'd have different types of, of cornbreads from skillet cakes to cornbreads to the you know horse cakes, stuff like that. Um, there was also a lot of use of obviously game and different foods like that. Um, fried chicken was something else that I found interesting as as far as our history. We hear a lot about the the, the history of fried chicken as it relates to the slaves that that brought it over. And, and that is true, but there are actually two versions of fried chicken in, in American history. There's the version we know here in the South, but then there's also uh, a British version, which was almost identical, but there's no batter used. And it didn't catch on here, because you just took the chicken and just dropped it in the oil, so there was no no, no batter on it, no, very little seasoning on it. Um,
0: reason enough right there for the declaration of independence.
2: Yes, <laughs> if you're going to do fried if chicken, there's no other reason at all. It. Yeah. Well, the, the 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 folks here in the South really didn't like fried chicken in the beginning. Uh, chicken was seen as a dirty meat or a dirty bird. Uh, slaves ate it. Poor people ate it. Your plantation owners didn't eat it. But once they started smelling it, and the spices that were being put into the batters, uh, it became a southern staple. Um, and, and you learn things like that with um, you know, Hop and John and okra and gumbo and some of the different things that people were, were cooking here in the South. And I learned a lot about the culinary history in in, in going through that book. Anything distinctive about the Anderson area? That particular book really wasn't. Oh, there, there, there wasn't anything about Anderson in that particular book. That's one of the books that didn't have anything about Anderson I in it. I'm just um, wondering if you ran across anything like that. I, I didn't. Oh no, I'm I'm sorry. No, no, there is there is there is one one thing in the book about Anderson. Um, it's not a recipe though. It's a way to make uh, floured scented oil. Uh, there was a lady in Anderson, and you have to forgive me, I can't remember her name right now, but she um, had written a cookbook. And it was the first cookbook published in Anderson. Teresa Brown was her name. And uh, she wrote this cookbook. And uh, she uh, had all, like, 300 recipes in this cookbook that she had collected. Uh, she was never married, but she was known to be one of the most amazing hostesses in Anderson. Her, her cooking skills were, you know, bar none. Um, her book was used at the Williamson Academy. And several schools in the area used her cookbook as, as a textbook. Uh, it was, it's an interesting read because it, 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 it assumes you know how to do certain things. Like you know how to make biscuits. It doesn't tell you how to do certain things. It assumes you know this. And it references other recipes throughout the book. Uh, so it was an interesting book to read. One of her recipes is in there, and it's all about how to make uh, flour oil uh, using oils and flowers and presses and things like that. Wow. So that's, that, yeah, So there is a connection to Anderson in the book. The
0: cookbook, and then what's
2: the other one? Uh, the book on historical markers. Yeah, now you're
0: about to update that too,
2: right? Um, I'm going to update that about every couple of years. Um, Anderson doesn't produce a whole lot of markers, but when they do, I want to make sure that, it, that it's updated. Uh, and so I'll probably work on an update of that probably next year. Those need to be kind of cleaned up around the story. They do. Some unf- of them are in bad shape. Unfortunately, it's, it's the responsibility of the group. So. there There is no state money set aside for these markers anderson's or south carolina 's historical marker program is unique with among the other states. most of them have a historical commission that finds the markers, erects the monuments, and decides what we 're going to preserve south carolinas is not it 's strictly citizen driven If you as you, and, and a group want to preserve a site, you have every right to petition to the state and say we want to erect a marker here 's what we want it to say. The state will review your text, make sure it 's accurate, give you some tips on how to word it. Because you, you can only have so many words on the on the marker, uh, but then you're responsible for raising the funds to purchase the marker, for erecting the marker, for maintaining the marker. So was, if we
0: wanted to like honor your birthplace,
2: yes, <laughs> we
0: could actually apply for that. You
2: could do so. It would have to be uh, <laughs> in some. It has to be 50 years out, right? Um, and you can only in South Carolina designate historic sites. I got you. So if someone wants to say, "Hey, Greg, Greg Wilson's this great guy," we want right. to erect a monument to Greg it has Wilson. would be his birthplace. His birthplace, his death place, where he did his business, something like that. We can talk about a place, but we have to tie it to a location.
0: How many are in Anderson, do you know?
2: There are about three dozen or so in Anderson. The most recent one was a synagogue, uh, the synagogue here in town. Okay. And that was erected last year. That's been here a long time. It's been a while, over 100 years, yeah. Clemson just erected three. Uh, that deal with the African-American history there at the school. Um, So I'm going to go up and get those photographed at some point. Um, And I I occasionally stumble across them when I'm driving around the state. Uh, The state, unfortunately, doesn't do a great job publicizing them. There used to be an email list. It's not around anymore, so you just kind of have to know and pay attention to when they're coming up. Does even have a directory or anything? There was an online directory, and it was being built by an intern. and, And it was a great directory, Interns gone, you know. Nobody kept it up. So uh, it's 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 a shame that that they're not as as you know, publicized as much as I wish they would.
0: Do You think political shifting sands are making it difficult to keep pure history? Or
2: I think is there I, pressure to... Yeah, history is getting political, and and I, I I hate to see that happen because it, it it should be apolitical. There is no one story of history. That's the first thing anybody needs to realize. There are facts. But there, the reason behind the facts is, 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 is multitudinous. You, you can have five different reasons for one thing happening. And, and we need to accept that there can be multiple reasons for, example, the Civil War. There can be multiple reasons, for example, this person getting elected. There can be multiple reasons for this happening. You look at all the reasons, and, and it's okay that there are multiple reasons for things. That doesn't mean that the one reason is better than, than, than another or more important than another. Uh, but I just, I just I hate to see history become politicized because that's that's not what it's there for. It's there for us to learn from, not make you know make make examples of people and 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 point out people's mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes.
0: I was gonna say we try to take a the 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 century we live in's microscope and put it on people yes. that were. In a different era and a different yeah, you so can't you can't have an accomplishment if you've got any flaws. But right, everybody has flaws. Well, in the one Somebody thing, Melbourne Purvis may be the only one. There. Yeah,
2: the one thing that I I, I, I try to do with, with with my history posts is be very um, um, just stand hands off. These are the facts. Right. I'm not going to make any judgment on the way these people behaved. Right. Um, my readers will, and that's perfectly fine. Right. I don't comment once I make a post because that that's not my. I'm not gonna. I don't even. I don't want to engage people in debate about something um, because it it is what it is. And and I've said what I have to say about that particular topic. Um, So I'm not going to engage people in it, but but I do find their comments interesting. One in particular, uh, there was a a story about a lady who died. Not a big story. She wasn't a big, important person in town, but she died in her early 20s. And she had like six kids, and and the, the cause of her death wasn't really mentioned. Comments were made by people, primarily women. Every single comment had to do with the same thing. Well, it's no wonder she died. She'd had six kids. And I thought, (laughs) okay, that's what they picked out of it. So, you know, people, because this this was, you know, health wasn't great back then. And for, I guess, a woman by the time she was 22, 23, to have had six kids, she started pretty early.
0: Well, and also, that would, in some Culture's been a small family. <laughs> I know. And, have and six that lived, you don't have many that didn't live. That's right. the thing.
2: That's, yeah, that's the other thing. Um, and, 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 and I don't always look ahead with these stories. It's what happened today. I may give you a little bit of facts about later on, but usually not what happened to the rest of their life because that's not what's important. It's what happened that particular right. day. Um, but but it's, it's what people pull out of these stories that I find fascinating sometimes, things that they pick up that I didn't see or I didn't mention. Um, and, but people have not really gotten real political with the post, which which is good. Yeah, that's good. I don't want them to be. You know? I think
0: you've done a good job, particularly buildings where there are where you'll do the story. This happened in 1901, and mm-hmm. here's where it is today. And yeah, what's going on day with that? here's you know, yeah. how that played out. That's, that's very yeah.
2: And, and and finding what what was in Anderson, you know, that, that, that's no longer there. Old buildings that are gone. The 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 Imperial Hotel, for example, apparently was a beautiful building. Um, and, and had fallen into disrepair, and it's where Club 134 is today. And I, I they, they, they talk about the, the Club 134 building as, as it being just a, a an amazingly beautiful building when they were building it. So they, they were very happy with the replacement building that was going to go there. But, you know, you, you learn about these buildings that were here, these businesses that were here, and and who owned them. And I always wonder, well, okay, what were their lives like? You know, one of the, the things we're going to talk about tonight at the museum is the Sala Hotel. Uh, and, and Mr. Sala had several patents for bra clasps that he had invented. He sold in the store of his hotel. <laughs> okay, that's just a neat thing about somebody in Anderson you know, that mm-hmm. you didn't know about. So, yeah, uncover all these, these, these things. Well,
0: this will run after your, your talk at the museum tonight. But mm-hmm. how, in general, how well do you think Anderson's doing in terms of it? I mean, compared to other counties, of watching out for our history. And stuff.
2: Um, they do a pretty good job. the yeah, The museum is great. They, we have a great museum for a great town, museum. Our, our county. Our county The one thing I wish we had is a city museum. Um, I often thought if I had unlimited funds, I'd buy the Will House, and that would become a city museum.
0: Will Heights House? Somebody needs to buy it before too long. It's not
2: going to be with uh, us. Yeah, I'd have I'd have a section in there that dealing with the with the the, the apothecary businesses over here, the ores and the Will Heights. I'd have a section talking about the mills. I talk about the moonshine history, that's what a lot of people know. The, the 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 liquor history in Anderson County is just fascinating. Um, and and so th- there's there's all this 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 great stuff that we we are just, just sort of bubbling under the surface. And right now it's like if I had if I had half a million dollars, I'd buy the house and restore it. If become you buy a city the little house,
0: please put the staircase back in it.
2: What, it inside it? Yeah. I, have not, I haven't been inside Forever, it
0: in years. The, the, the people who bought it to use it for, like, mm-hmm. and took the staircase. Oh, out.
2: okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you
0: know, exactly. That's the, that's the reaction everyone should have. Oh, goodness. But we do have a good museum here.
2: Yes, right? we do. The, the museum here, here well is well organized, and, yes. Yeah, uh, Beverly a does a great job
0: and, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, um
2: and I'm always recommend the museum to folks when they come and visit. And it does a it does a really good job showing Anderson's history from from all kind of angles, uh, because it is a county museum, so it's looking at the whole county's um, history. So so I I like the fact there's just a lot of good stuff in there, and there's always something new in there that you're that you're going to look for and and, and you know find.
0: You're I mean I, I think you'll understand when I say this because it's, it's relative, but. You're fairly young to be sort of the mm-hmm. historian,
2: you know. Yeah. What do your friends think about um, your history? Most of most of my friends love it. They they they're like, I can't believe that you do this. I can't believe that you. I mean, because I, you know, people go on their days off, they go to the beach. Okay, I take my day off and I go to Bamberg to look at an old Civil War battlefield. Yeah. You,
0: you travel around the state taking pictures yeah. of old things and yeah. things that are interesting historically in South yeah. Carolina.
2: Yeah. And that's that's me as well. I'd rather do that on my vacation than I would go lay out at the beach. And when I go on vacation this year, I'm going up to Gettysburg again and and spend. A week there, so that that's what I enjoy doing when I go places um, and and finding those those history sites that are that are fun and some you know about and some you may never have heard about uh, and that's that's always what's fun is un- un- uncovering all that.
0: You told me this before, but tell me again how you got interested in this.
2: My mom, she was the, 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 the catalyst for this whole thing. Um, and she, uh, got into her genealogy mainly for health reasons. Um, muscular dystrophy ran in my family. My, both my brothers had it, my mom had it, my uncle had it. And my mom was concerned about, um, after having three kids passing it to the two siblings, you know, my two siblings, where did it come from? So she started digging into her family tree for that reason to see where, what's the medical history of the family. And, um, uh, Back then, there was no internet, so she would take me to the library. We'd sit in the South Carolina room, which I think where the, the research room is now in the library. I, th- I think that's where it's located. Um, but we would go in there, and we would sit in there for hours looking over microfilm and trying to find census records and write down names. And then she'd drag me to uh, to churches, and we'd look in cemeteries and take pictures of churches and tombstones and stuff. And so while she was doing that, I would be roaming around the library some. And i I ran across the history section. I started looking through genealogy books, Brooks Peerage and all these genealogy family books, and just became fascinated with, you know, how, how are people related, where do they come from? And and then I just started digging into history that way. Tell
0: her about who your mom is sir.
2: uh her Barbara McClell well Barbara McClellan's my grandmother. My mom's name was uh, Gina McClellan, she married a Scott, Keith Scott, and uh, she passed away in two thousand one. Yeah.
0: Um that's how about, have you run into any of your teachers or anything from high school? <laughs> like,
2: no. My, uh, my teacher, well, Oakwood is where I went to school. Okay. Um, I did have, my, my sixth grade teacher was uh, Mrs. Arnold, and she, she's passed away now. Uh, that was at Centerville. She's historic for this reason. She taught me. She taught my mother, and she went to school with my grandmother. So she had three generations of my family under her under her tutelage, um, very very nicely. But I haven't run across a whole lot of a lot of teachers. I'm so, just curious because you, know, you take on something like yeah, this. Yeah, sort of a the uh, academic story, enterprise. Yeah, the uh, McCants character your character in the book has gotten a lot of people because that's the name people know. And and I always try to put in names people are going to know and recognize in some of the stories as well.
0: And finally, you you're you're continuing historic tradition in another way.
2: With your chickens. Yes. <laughs> the chickens. Um the chickens are great. They're a lot of fun. Um how many chickens do you have? Approximately four hundred. That's a lot of chickens. That's a lot of chickens. Um and um they're 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 all free range. Uh, so they're all over the backyard. Um you laying hens? Laying hens. I have laying hens. I have roosters. You ever just trying and go in to fry them up? Or? No, not yet. I haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, any, 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 you know, so I'm not going to say what happens to the dead chickens because they're recycled. <laughs> but um, it's, it's, it's it's, a fun project. It's been going on for about four years now. It's starting to become where it's self-sufficient, and that was the goal of it. How many eggs do you all produce? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I will, I, I take it as many as... 20 dozen eggs up to Concord Produce Market. A lot of it depends on the time of year. Um, the, the, the Most of the eggs are for hatching purposes. So that's okay. where your money is.
0: Explain to people what that is. Sure.
2: People can buy hatching eggs uh, on eBay, and we don't all we don't people come to the house or anything. They have to come to order it on eBay. Uh, they were go on eBay to buy the eggs, and they can buy certain breeds. They can buy a mixed flock. They can buy a certain amounts of dozens. All of the eggs, though, are, are colored. We don't have just white eggs. We have some white. Uh, we have browns, grays, blues, greens, pinks, uh, flesh color, tans, you name it we got the color. And that freaks a lot of people out because they want to, what you do to your chicken to make it lay a colored egg? Well, we didn't do anything. We just hatched it. They, they all they all lay colored eggs in one way or another. And um, that's what a lot of people don't realize. All eggs start out as white and as the egg gets passed through the chicken, a coloring is put over the egg. If you crack open a colored egg, inside's white. So um, we sell those. Anything that's left over from the hatching eggs goes to Concord Produce Market. And uh, we deliver eggs a couple of times a week there. And so they can order those. Orville Hatchery is the name of the company. We named it after where we live because Orville Farm, it's the Orville village. And I wanted to kind of attach it to something that was a little, you know, historic there. So.
0: Well, if people haven't. Eating fresh local eggs, they don't.
2: There's nothing like, and, and I I, you know, I love to bake with, with, with fresh eggs. It just makes a whole world of difference. And uh, and, and it's always fun to see the, the, the different shapes and the colors because these are not, you know, eggs are not perfect. The eggs you see at the market um, at, you know, a bilo or a, a, a regular grocery store have all been sized and they're all uniform to look alike. You open up a package of, of fresh eggs, they're all going to be different. Um, you know, they're all going to be a little oddly shaped. There might be a little tilted this one, or a little more bullet shaped to another one. But inside, they're all the same.
0: And I guess finally, just as a reminder, if people missed the last one under the kudzu, you've got a lot of videos up on YouTube yes. and mm-hmm. places. So if people want to see, and they're not long, you just they're not long. See, right? Watch some short. Video clips, of Anderson right. history that y'all right. did, yeah. and I think they're going to get, eventually be on the television station. Maybe
2: yeah, we're we we're, we're still talking about all that, trying to get all that worked out. But right. um, you know, right now, the, some of the things that I'll do will be on the television station when I give talks at the museum. Those are going to be filmed, right. uh, so people can obviously take a look at those. And uh, so we're hoping to get the Kudzu project back up and going again at some point. Right,
0: well, that sounds great. Yeah. Good man, I appreciate it. And Enjoy we'll it catch every time. Up again soon. Sounds and, good. Um, I'll be the first one to wish you Merry Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks,
2: Brian. You're welcome.
0: You need to look for Brian's book, it's available at the museum, it's going to be available at some other places. He mentioned some of them there during the interview. It's very interesting. He's got another follow-up book coming. All of his books have a lot of very interesting uh, information in them if you enjoy that kind of thing. And one of the things that future generations here will have to include in the area's history is the evolution of Anderson County's library from a quiet place full of books and answers to a modern technological hub for all of our residents. Uh, people can check out ebooks, magazines, music, movies all from home uh, from the library. Or they can go to the library for free internet access and job search facilities, take a yoga class, join a book club, or an adult group of Crayola devotees. They even have adult coloring. This is an amazing amount of things they can do. But one can also dress up like your favorite superhero or supervillain, and on August 6th, join well known authors and artists at the Electric City Comic Con. It's free it's almost all day long and librarian brianna mcdonald is always a joy to talk to about such things about the library she knows how much i love libraries and is one who was as i've always said kind of raised by librarians it's always fun to talk library talk even when superheroes and supervillains are involved all right there's a lot going on at the anderson library is that right brianna?
3: that that is correct yeah
0: and uh summer's a busy time
3: It is. It is. Um, You know, we're getting near the end of summer reading. Um, A lot of kids have already come in to get their um, certificates and medals for finishing the program, Um, but we're... How many
0: books do they have to read? Oh, that's a hard
3: question. Is it pages or books? It depends. Um, I think for the listeners who are ages 0 to 4 or Mm 5, it's um, 20 books. So, you know, that they're usually their parent is reading to them. And then I think for the readers, which is 6 to 12, ages 6 to 12, it's uh, 20 hours, okay. I believe, of reading. So Good. Yeah. Yeah. And then they um, get a voucher for a Greenville Drive game. And the um, the Greenville Drive does this great thing where uh, they bring all the kids out onto the, onto the field and, you know, kind of congratulate them and everything. Oh, so, I don't remember when that is, but...
0: That's all right. Yeah. It's yeah. good to know that they're encouraging reading. That. Yes,
3: yeah. So definitely. what else?
0: What else is going on? You got the reading program.
3: Yeah, we have that until the end of July. We have um, um, well, we have our big end of summer reading event, which is the Electric City Comic Con. This is our second year of doing it. Um, we had a good crowd last year. Good crowd, very good crowd, and really positive feedback as well. Um, you know, last year it was only one to five in the afternoon on a Saturday, and this year we're doing it ten to five. So it's kind of an all-day event. And what's the date? August 6th.
0: That's not that far away? No,
3: it's not. <laughs> so we're finishing up preparations for, um, you know, just kind of more logistics things now. We have all of our guests lined up. We have all of our artists lined up. We have all of our vendors lined up. So Who
0: are some of the people coming in?
3: Um. Well, we have um, three young adult authors coming mm-hmm. who um, write, um, have written... Um, Fantasy books that are really fairy tale retellings, and um, one is Jessica Curry, who is out of Greenville, um, and her newest book is *The Forbidden Wish*, which is a spin on Aladdin. The next one, uh, C.J. Redwine, is from somewhere up north, I believe. I can't remember exactly. She's got uh, her newest book is *The Shadow Queen*, which is the beginning of a retelling of um, Snow White. And uh, the third one is A.G. Howard, who's from Texas, and she's written four or five books now that's Alice in Wonderland retellings. Um, so they'll be here, and then we have um, three comic book writers slash illustrators. Um, Chris Schweizer, he's written a, a couple series now. One's called The Creeps, another the is called The Croods. um and it's kind of fantasy, historical, um, and it's a lot of fun. He's... Probably more like middle grade writing, I think. Um, The other one is Jeremy Whitley, who is out of North Carolina. He's written a series called Princeless, which is, um, he was inspired by his own daughter. And it's a a series about a a princess who kind of goes on a journey to save herself rather than waiting for a prince to come. And then the third one is Dion Brown out of Atlanta and he's got a fun series called The Battle for Osselberg and um, it's mainly digital right now but it'll um, it's it's pretty interesting. So.
0: so they have their books here and they talk to the folks that come in. Yeah. Explain, explain what Comic-Con is to people. Who oh
3: yeah. Yeah. So um, we have a schedule for the day um, and we have some events that go on all day long. So um, we'll have these Q&A sessions that we call panels um, and it's uh, three to four of the speakers on each one, and so they'll talk kind of briefly about their work and what's inspired them, and then they'll take questions, and um, then you can get your favorite book signed by them, um, and, uh, and so we have three of those, and we have a fourth one that's all about cosplay, and cosplay is... Um, People who enjoy kind of dressing up as their favorite characters, usually making the costumes on their own, and people do some really like
0: superheroes and other comic. Oh
3: yeah, yeah. Um, you know you get superheroes, you get a lot of anime and manga characters, you get a lot of video game characters, um, you get um, you know there's a lot of people kind of do like twists on different ones. So last year, a really popular one was this um, steampunk Wicked Witch of the West. And she had done the green skin, and she. But then she kind of, kind of turned it into, um, you know, like what if the wicked witch has been living in the age of steam-powered engines, and so like she's instead of flying on a broom, you know, she's flying with this sort of steam-powered contraption, and it was uh, it was really cool.
0: How many did you have dress up last time? How many people did you have doing costumes? Roughly, I don't need exact.
3: Um, probably a little bit over a hundred, I would wow. say.
0: It's just it's big. It's a big phenomenon. I mean, it, it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, the big ones, San Diego, and they have like two or three hundred thousand people or something yeah. now. I mean, yeah. it's like it's turned into a major international event. It, Atlanta yeah. has
1: Dragon Con,
0: right. Yeah,
3: which is another one that's um, that one is much more into um, into cosplay, this sort of like costume work, mm-hmm. and a lot of sci-fi and fantasy television and and movies and things like that. And then there's another one, uh, actually in Charlotte, that's Heroes Con, which is a much is much more focused on art and comic book writing and comic book art. And so you kind of have these two spectrums, mm-hmm. and they're kind of on either side of of us. And so we've tried to kind of take little pieces of each for people who can't who can't necessarily make it to those big events, right. or who are overwhelmed by those big events, or who can't afford it because those do charge. Or who just want to do everything. Yeah, oh yeah, or who just, yeah. you know. There's people
0: around here that just, you know, that might want to go to those, but want, want something. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. And, They've you already know, got the costume ready. Yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah so. Those um, things can be
0: expensive, the way some of those people.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of supplies. It's a lot of love and care and frustration,
0: I think. <laughs> have you ever done
3: it? I have, Who did you dress up as? I, um, I did both Agent Carter from the TV show, mm-hmm. Agent Carter, Marvel, and then I also have a Sophie Hatter cosplay, which um, that's a character from a movie called Howl's Moving Castle mm-hmm. that's based on a book by Diana Wynne Jones. Okay. So, it's
0: now, There's a writer who's who's I mean, I'm chasing a rabbit here, I am almost sorry, oh, yeah, fine. There's a writer who's had a little bit of a renaissance.
3: Yes. Uh, yeah. People have
0: forgotten. Now, and her her to be fair, it, her writing requires you to pay attention. Yes. It's not like you're going to, you know, it's not really a beach book for a lot of people. but it's, No,
3: no, but I think... Um, but it's worth the effort. Yeah, and I think, you know, people are rediscovering, you know, with the popularity of Harry Potter and with the popularity of Game of Thrones, people are discovering these writers who were, you know, producing amazing work in the 80s and 90s, and they're kind of having this renaissance now, and which I love, because some of those authors, I think, need more love and more attention, because um, people are reading these fantasy epics and, like, well, I need more, and... You have to look back
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: um, and discover some really great, great series. I think.
0: Right. So y'all are really expecting a big crowd, then. We are,
3: yeah. We're. Um, Does
0: it cost anything for people? No,
3: no, them? it's all free. Um, we'll have, um, you know, there will be people selling, you know, different crafts. We have sure. someone who makes little. Um, they're called super sweets. They like uh, like cookies and icing with um, they are like in shapes of superheroes and things. Gotcha. And then we'll also have f- two food trucks on the on the front of the library. We have uh, friends, food, far- friends Food and Farm Catering, to okay. get that straight. And then we have Mama's Pizza. And so people, you know, we will take a break from the day, but not have to sacrifice their parking space or not. Right. You know. And then, of course, we have such amazing restaurants downtown. You know, Figs is right there. Some of Joe's is right there. So people can just walk and get, you know, take a break and then come back. Sullivan's. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> definitely Solomon's so so is anybody
0: doing like any real magic here is going be?
3: Unfortunately, um, no, we haven't been <laughs> not that you fun. know of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to be pleasantly surprised,
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is something the library does, and then you've got um um are you having something something before that coming up soon? um. Not before. Some sort of costume thing or something?
3: Yeah, well, that's on the day of. at the day of, okay. um, at the, uh, About the late afternoon, on August 6th, we'll have a cosplay contest. Okay, okay. So people can sign up, and there's different. There's uh, three age categories, and there's a group category. And so people will be able to kind of show off their costume and then also possibly win a prize. Um, and we have some pretty amazing professional cosplayers who will be judging that are also local, which is fantastic. You know, Anderson really does have a have a good community, and people have been very supportive in helping us put this event on, and they like seeing it. So, um, but we are we also have a fan art contest, and so this is people who just want to, um, you know, either draw their favorite characters or you know you know draw something imaginative. Um, I mean, we've even got digital submissions. But um, that will be going on until the 31st, J- July 31st, and then people will be able to vote for their the fan favorite um, on the day of, and we'll announce all the winners uh, at the con itself. So that's, um, that's pretty much where we are, just ending summer reading and then going into the con. Um, and then we'll have a little bit of break for the rest of August. But then back in September, um, we actually have... Um, there was a popular Workshop for Writers series with C. Hope Clark, and those were really popular uh, back in, It was I think the last one was in May, but we actually got, um, she's agreed to come back and do a fall series, and so that'll start now, in is, September. what is, explain what that is. So Seahope Hope Clark is, um, she's an author herself, but she also does a lot of, you know, helping aspiring authors and helping aspiring writers, and she does different, um you know different workshops that cover a specific topic, so one she's done the past is you know th- how to edit you know what are some techniques to edit your work you know how many times you should edit and kind of tricks of the trade that she's learned along the way. Another one was you know how to find publishers, how to research what publisher you should send your manuscript to um, and and she's also done fundraising for writers so you know how to find maybe a grant to help support you in your writing, um, rather than you know having to work two jobs and then hope that you you know you have time to write. So, um, and she's been she's been a really great asset. I think we've really enjoyed having her come. And good you know, crowds. Yeah, right. very good crowds, and um, she always prepares these sort of like um, I hesitate to call it a handout because it's so much more information than that. It's usually three to five pages long of uh, summary information. And what's been nice is that people who haven't been able to make one of the workshops can still come and pick it up um, and, and kind of get a summary of what she, what she talked about. We have a
0: lot of writers groups around here. We do, country.
3: yeah. Um, the Foothills Writers Group, I think, over that meets at AU. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's been a couple others. And then there's a good uh, National Novel Writing Month, which is in November. November, right. There's a good group that meets up in Clemson. Um, I think usually they meet once in Clemson and then once in Anderson. Yeah, I think so. in Greenville
0: they have, it's a different one. But oh right yeah, there, they have a couple of big groups over there for the
3: yeah. When n- I think November
0: it's Novel Month, that's, the idea of that is people try to write an entire book in one month. Yeah,
3: so. <laughs> yeah. Usually I think that's more about just getting the words on the page, and then right. I think they call January like Editing Month, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So what else is going on between now and?
3: Um, between now and end of the year. The end of the year. Yeah, Which we're um,
0: halfway done. We? We're 160 something days left in the year. It, it's else. hard to
3: believe. It's hard to believe. Um, and so then we have the writers, and then um we're planning some programming in October. Um, that kind of revolves around the poems and short stories of the, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, we're hoping to have this uh, a lecturer come in. He's um, a professor down at College of Charleston. And he's um, he's kind of been a Poe scholar and a recognized Poe scholar for many years now. Um, we had the Starburst Storytellers Festival, which happens in October, and they'll be doing sort of Poe-related or Poe-inspired storytelling, both for adults and for kids. Um, and we're hoping to have some um, readings and some book club meetings. And um, you know, we've had support with Carolina Barn House and Growler House. And uh, Viva Illovino for hosting kind of discussion nights or open mic nights. Um, and so we're kind of in the midst of planning all that. And I think that'll be a fun, October will be a fun month as Market well. Market
0: Theater might be a good place. They're trying yeah. to get stuff going on down there too every night. So.
3: Yeah, yeah. We're looking for, um, I think uh, one of my coworkers was in contact with him about perhaps doing dramatic performance. Um, we were hopeful that we'd be able to do it in Carolina Ren Park. But, Um, you know, weather is always such a big... It is. ...iffy question. And if you don't
0: do... I mean, the way they did Shakespeare in the Park is the only way it really works, because it's not a good stage unless you make one yourself, Yeah,
3: yeah, and unfortunately, we don't have too many carpenters on staff,
0: so... (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is in addition to all the things you are always doing.
3: Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, what we have always going on, well, we always have family story times, um, twice a week for our kids and their parents, um... You know, it's a great way for kids who are not yet in school to kind of begin that early learner process. Um, we have yoga for the community, um, which is free. We just ask that you bring your supplies because we only have so many, um, and it's always beginners are welcome. Um, she keeps it. Our one of our our one of our staff is a trained um, yoga instructor, and she keeps it at a pretty basic level for people. Um, we have book clubs. Um, so many book clubs it's hard to keep track um they and meet, then, they meet here too right they? yeah well they meet at the main library and they meet at a few of our branches as right. well you know each community kind of has their right. own um and then we just have ongoing um you know the south carolina room has resources that are always available uh for genealogy and family history research um or you know people who are just looking into anderson county history as well um
0: um, I was just talking to Brian Scott. That's who I don't know if you know Brian or not. He's, hmm. He does the St. Anderson history. He's written several history books. On. Oh, good. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's oh, wonderful. He's a thing in the museum tonight. So, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he's sort of our, sort of the hand of the baton to him. He's youngish, can yeah, get the thing going. He's got a real passion for it. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the library, also, I mean, it, I remind people of this a lot, but not only are there a lot of great things here, if you can't even get here, you can. You be connected in a way you never could.
1: And, and, and oh, definitely! You can check
0: out books, movies, music, audio books and it's all free and you just come and get your library card. You need have, you don't have a library card, what's wrong with you? That's what's yeah. <laughs> what wrong with you if you don't have a library card.
3: Yeah, we just ask that you come in once a year and say hi to us and right. then make sure that we have, you know, your right information. Right. Um and, but just once a year and then you can you can download movies and music and audiobooks,
0: magazines. Yeah,
3: magazines and then of course ebooks. Right. Um and we have two uh, services that provide those um, and they're really we try and keep them as diverse collections so if you can't find a book in one you might be able to find it in the other um, and you know you can do it on your tablet, on your phone on your computer itself if you don't have a mobile device um, and I I am always very happy to talk you through on the phone <laughs> I might just ask you a lot of questions about you know, what your screen looks like
0: but you know, It's interesting because it has shifted but I know growing up and really i mean it was i was long out of college and graduate school before there was an internet mm-hmm. the library was the internet mm-hmm. if i needed to call and say hey uh what happened in this story or this thing here the librarian would find it for me oh or and we librarian. still do that yeah, i mean
3: yeah um i still get regular questions about how do i convert you know yeah. my 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 uh my measurements or something like what's you know what's right. what's 20 kilometers and miles, or, you know, I read this book a long time ago, and it had this kind of plot, and I don't remember what it was. and Hassel Gretel, what kind
0: of bone did she, th- <laughs> which one was it? I need to, you know, that, yeah. this is the place to call for that story.
3: Well, yeah, and then also we just get kind of run-of-the-mill questions, you know, what's the phone number for the courthouse, or how do I, you know, how do I figure out...
0: So y'all still welcome all this?
3: Yes, oh, of course, yeah, I, yeah. I love answering the phone. I love getting all kinds of questions. Because usually what happens is I learn along with the patron. It's like, oh, I didn't know that you know, the recycling center was open these hours or something. So. All
0: right. What are you reading now?
3: I actually just finished a, a very long fantasy series. Um, it's only two books, but the books are long. Um, called A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. It's a pretty new fantasy series. She just came out with a second book this year. Um, and then I am starting one of our guests, um, Katie Cross, has a steampunk novel that I'm gonna read before she gets here. hopefully. Uh, it's called The Girl and the Steel Corset, I believe. so um,
0: but how many books do you read in a month? Uh?
3: How do I do to read in a month? Um, I try for at least two. Um, which is a pretty low number, I feel like, Um, but usually it's one book club book, and then it's one sort of extra book. Mm -hmm. Um, This month so far, I've only done one, but it's still a little early, so I'm doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my strongest recommendation of books I've read so far this year is actually The Vegetarian by Han Kang. It's a translated book. She's a South Korean author. And it's very short, but it's very, very strange. And so if you like sort of unconventional fiction, Mm -hmm. I think that's a good pick. And she's um, people are really interested to see what kind of comes from her as she continues her career. So um, she might be a prize winner.
0: Later on in life, I. I, I want to rem- mention to people we're getting ready to launch a book review site, book site on the Observer. So, and you're going to do some reviews. Yeah, I'm going to do some reviews. is awesome. We appreciate that. Yeah. And talking about the, uh, I, there's, uh, I, I was going to say the author's name in it. left uh, Book of strange new things, uh, Matt Michelle, Farber. Oh, Farber is that? Mm-hmm. Also wrote the, um, the one they made the movie of about the the alien who was killing the Scottish people. <laughs> The van and the, oh, the movie gosh. wasn't very good, but the book—you know what I'm talking about?
3: Yeah. The
0: book, Strange New Things, I would, I would highly recommend. I read okay. last year. Yeah, I'll uh, have to. Um, I'll
3: have to pick yeah, that one up. It's very
0: unusual. Next, I mean, if you like unusual. Yes, I do. <laughs> unusual <laughs> books, yeah. Yeah. But uh, how many librarians are here? How many people do?
3: Um, for librarians, we have ooh, six, eight, maybe about fifteen to twenty, just at the mm-hmm. main library, and then. Um, At Pattersville, Lander, Pendleton, and Belton, we have librarians as well. Um, And then we have um, amazing paraprofessionals who, you know, kind of help so much. I mean, really, they're doing a lot of librarian jobs. Uh, just because we're we're limited on how many people we can hire on and they do amazing work as well.
0: Y'all serve a very large number of people. I mean, I know y'all had the stats up there one day when I came in. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, you think about, you know, we serve all of Anderson County, um, places that, you know, most of the smaller towns, we have a branch, uh, albeit maybe a very small branch, Piedmont is pretty small. and we also have a bookmobile that we try and send out to places, especially up in the Townville area we don't have a branch, so we try and get the bookmobile to go out there. Uh, its newest stop is now in Homeland Park, um, which we're really excited about, uh, just because that is, it's still a little bit of a long walk, almost too long of a walk to get to the main library. So we're trying to make sure that people who don't have a branch near them, you know, or don't have reliable transportation can still get to us, because... You know, a lot of people. Internet is a necessity in life now. Um, for applying for jobs, most places Absolutely. don't do paper applications. And all stay
0: full here, people. A lot of marks sitting over there applying for work.
3: Yes, yeah. We even now have a dedicated employee from the ARP who just helps with unemployment and job seeking. And she does. You know, she sees so many people that really we need three more of her. <laughs> And so just this morning I was helping with another application. So um, that's, you know, that's something that even if we can't do programs, we're always going to have Internet access and computer technology access and computer classes.
0: And so people who, you know, are on a limited income, there's always something here they can do. Tonight. Yes. So, yeah. And out of the county, I think, did a good job stepping up finally this year. And- yeah getting some money. There's a little bit of raises here and there that have been longer gone. Yeah. you know
3: <laughs> a little bit of raises will be very nice. Yeah. um hopefully we'll be able to keep some of our trained staff right. longer um and you know also a lot of that money too, just buying more resources, being able to meet the demands, especially technological demands that you know people need. and yeah. we you know wow. we try and stay as contemporaneous as we can with you know the newest version of Microsoft. But it gets hard when you're doing over 100 computers with just mm. that.
0: <laughs> it's hard to imagine. You know, you look at a, a library budget 50 years ago. And no, you my a budget and, you know, I mean, just what you have to yeah. you know, you have to purchase and yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a different animal. It is. It is. Yeah. But I do think you know people that haven't been. We do have, and like you said, the, the whole system. But the one I know in Anderson is is just one of the you know for a town our size, we've got a pretty phenomenal library. Yeah,
3: and it's. I mean, to me, it's just crazy to think that all this it in the, you know, in the old library, which is the museum now, because I, you know, our building Granted, grant it's like 16 years old now, but I look at it and it's like, how was this ever a well, one story? Well, it was books. <laughs>
0: it was mainly just it was just books. Yeah. and that was part of it. And they had a lot of good. And they had you know micro, everything was on microfiche and yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. It was basically all you had. And they had a little yeah. room. And of course, before that, it was an even smaller building over oh, there. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, that wasn't that many years ago either. That's what you, yeah. you start thinking about. Uh, it was in a very tiny little, yeah. you know, Carnegie kind of yeah building over there that uh, so yeah so. It's, it's growing.
3: Yeah, and we're almost full here. And
0: so. <laughs> the, I need, the website keeps up with everything, and your Facebook does too. So the yeah. easiest way is just uh, Anderson County Library sc dot, What is it? I was pretty sure. Oh, that. and our website is yeah.
3: just Anderson Library right. dot org. That,
0: but what's the okay? Website, oh, for Anderson, a, Facebook is what?
3: Facebook is Anderson Library sc. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I knew there was so. sc in one of those. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's usually the easiest way to link to everything because people have it on their phone.
3: Yeah, and for people who don't even want to call us, you know, they can either email us through the website or I'm always very happy to get just Facebook messages. Um, You can message us through our Facebook page, and usually I can answer you in a timely fashion. (laughs) And what's the
0: main library number?
3: It's 260-4500. And
0: you're open seven days a week?
3: Yep, seven days a week, uh, 9 to 9, Monday through Thursday, 9 to 6. Friday and Saturday, and then 2 to 6 on Sundays. So, so yeah.
0: somebody's just looking for somewhere quiet to come and mm-hmm. read where it's air-conditioned, they can be comfortable. And
3: Yeah, we welcome you.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks, Brian. Appreciate thank, your time. Thank you. I don't know if anyone will dress like characters from Pokemon for the Electric City Comic-Con. I I just don't know enough about that. But if they do, they won't generate nearly as much attention as those characters, uh, that uh, the recent Pokemon Go phone app, which has brought hundreds, mostly young people, in their teens and 20s downtown, filling the sidewalks downtown Anderson to play this game of capturing the Pokemon and a lot of other stuff. Again, I don't fully understand, even after having it explained to me. I do, however, have an expert, my high school daughter, Sarah, Uh, tried to make it clear to me, and and here's a short version of what she thinks about explaining that to someone who's old like me. All right, Anderson has been uh, wondering why there have been just hundreds of young people wandering around downtown. It's been a long time since we've seen that many people downtown. And uh, the reason is the Pokemon Go app for phones, which is not something I have. So I brought in an expert on it, for the very first time, I've actually had a family member on the podcast. My daughter, Sarah Wilson, is going to explain what the Pokemon Go app is and why people are wandering around like they're crazy people downtown.
1: Okay, so the Pokemon Go app is a take on the game Pokemon and the anime as well that you may have seen on TV about 10 years ago. Tell
0: them what, anime is a cartoon.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like a cartoon. They're generally Japanese cartoons, um, but... You know, you may have seen it on TV about 10 years ago. 1995 is when it started, I I think. And um, there was a video game made about it that was wildly popular with all of these Pokemon where you basically wandered around and tried to find these little creatures so that you could fight them and make them stronger and stronger and stronger and then fight them and compete against your friends. Which is the same thing that's happening on the phone, except this time it is a much wider, you know, it, there's a lot more people playing it than there were the video game. Because the video game, it was generally the video game nerds, you know, the the sort of nerds that did that kind of stuff. But now everyone's doing it and they're competing against their friends. They're bringing them to gyms, which are set up everywhere, and leveling their Pokemon up so that they can fight against their friends. But the reason that you may see them all wandering around in one specific area is downtown, there are a lot of things called Pokestops, which is basically like a little place where you can go to, and it'll give you free Pokéballs, because you'd usually have to buy them or level them up.
0: What is a Pokéball?
1: A Pokéball is what you use to catch a Pokémon. And uh, they're limited supply. So when you go to a Pokéstop, you can get a Pokéball, you can get a Revive Potion, which is to, if your Pokémon dies or faints during a fight, you revive them with a Revive Potion. Um... And, But, at a Pokestop, you can go with a group of people, and someone can buy something called a lure module with real money. Um, Lure module? Yes, I'm going to explain what that is in a moment. Um, The lure module is, essentially, there's a thing called incense, which is something one person can use to bring Pokemon to them so that they can catch the Pokemon. However, an Incense is just for one person. Other people can't leech off of it. Other people can't get those Pokemon. It's just that one person that sees the Pokemon that are coming to them. A Lure Module is essentially the same thing, but everyone can get a Lure Module. So if someone... You have to be at a Pokestop to use the Lure Module. I think so. And uh, so, basically... You can see on the map which Pokestops have a lure module, and go to them, and there will be groups of people everywhere because there are so many Pokemon in that specific area for anyone to get. So basically, one person buys a lure module, they put it on a specific Pokestop, it lasts 30 minutes, and then a bunch of kids go over there, and there are a ton of Pokemon coming to that area because of the lure module. And that's why. Okay, so explain.
0: Explain to me why. What are these people doing that are walking around downtown looking at their phones?
1: They are downtown, there are lure modules everywhere. I was downtown the other day and looking at the app, and they are everywhere downtown. So people will come with groups of people, and they'll all go to gyms, and they'll fight their Pokemon, and they'll try to overtake gyms and stuff like that. Uh, But generally, it's groups of friends that one person will buy, like, five lure modules, and they'll go around and, uh, you know, put lure modules on each Pokestop when it runs out after 30 minutes. And then there are groups of people leeching off those Pokestops trying to use the lure modules so that they can get more Pokemon and fight their Pokemon.
0: So, when somebody looks at their phone, they see... A map. They see a map, but then they can actually look around them and then they'll see a Pokemon or something?
1: No. Here is what I can compare it to. If you've ever used Google Maps or any sort of GPS device on your cell phone or computer, it looks similar to that on your phone. However, you have a radius that Pokemon can like get into, so you can only see the Pokemon if they're within your radius, so within probably about i would guess like twenty feet of you, um maybe a little bit a little bit more broad but um you can see the Pokemon if they are within that radius, and um essentially, you walk or drive or do something to try to get to areas where Pokemon are, and it'll tell you on your little, like, there's a little um, button in the corner you can press that you can see all of the Pokemon in your area. It w- They'll be, like, blacked out, kind of, it's similar to the way the TV show used to be. They used to have a segment on the old TV show where they would say, like, who's that Pokemon? And then it's, like, blacked out, and, you know, the kids guess, and it's, like, a thing. Um, it's essentially the same sort of thing with the Pokemon on your phone. And then, uh... You go to the Pokemon, and you find that Pokemon. So, really, you wouldn't go out of your way to find a Pokemon unless they were very rare. You'd usually just go to a lure module or use an incense if you really just wanted to Does it to
0: cost money to what play? Does,
1: does what cost money? The game. The game itself does not cost money, but the Pokeballs, incense, revive potions, and, you know, anything within that sort of, any of the items, they're all limited. So if you level up, you can get those items
0: and that means you get catch more Pokemon
1: yes, it's x p you know experience points, which is a a general little video game thing they have those in almost every video game, and so uh when you level up, you get those things, but uh you get them in limited supply so if you you start out with like a hundred, i think, and then you slowly work your way down and then you. Either have to level up or uh, go to a Pokestop, which they may have uh, Pokeballs at that Pokestop, uh, or items in general. Or you buy them with your real money and, and then How expensive you do that. are they? Well, for five dollars, you can get a hundred Pokeballs. Um, however, lure modules, incense, lucky eggs, anything like that, they all cost different different amounts of money. But okay. so basically, you buy the Pokecoins, and then you buy them with all right. those.
0: finally. How long do you think it'll take people to get tired of this?
1: Uh, probably not very long, considering the general dem- demographic. Uh, you know, it's much broader than the old video game. The old video game was mainly young boys and girls and, like, nerdy kids, things like that. For some reason, there's people have been waiting for it forever, but the people who are playing it now are not the same people who loved it as a child. So, I think that um, the people that are following it as a trend are going to dissipate very quickly. However, the people that have been waiting for it for 10 years and who loved the video games as a child will probably not get over it.
0: So, a lot of the college students, when college starts back, they'll start doing other things and getting over it, you think?
1: Yeah. Some of the, especially, like, teenage girls that are just doing it, you know, as a trend, uh Yeah, I think they'll get over it. Probably not when school starts, but maybe a few months from now. However, the, the big-time nerds, they they won't get over that. Big-time nerds. All right. Like me.
0: <laughs> All right. If you see Sarah walking out in front of the road looking at her phone, don't run over. And she's just chasing Pokemon. Thanks, Sarah.
1: <laughs> no problem.
0: It's nice to hear somebody try to explain it that understands it. But I have a sneaky suspicion that... If you're like me and you're past the age of 50 that understanding this game is like trying to hear a dog whistle, it's just not going to happen. I will say that Anderson's own Kerry Jones saw the sunny side of dozens and dozens of kids roaming around downtown. I ran into him down there during the block party. He said he was so glad to see young people downtown that uh, he didn't need to understand the game or know what they were doing. He was just happy to see all the young folks downtown. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I hope they keep coming back to do other things. That's a really good call. We do need more youth to get involved in this community, and getting them downtown might spark interest in something um, beyond just uh, staring at their phones and chasing cartoon characters. So if you see any kids downtown, be nice to them, say hello, invite them back to the block party or to eat at one of our great restaurants, Uh, and uh, I think it's all going to work out well for all of us. Well, that's about it for this week's Anderson Observer podcast. News from people you trust. Join me next week for our back to school, where we will have interviews with every single superintendent in Anderson County, talking about their their districts and uh, what's going to happen in the year ahead, and then their goals for beyond that too. And until then, get out and do something good for your friends and neighbors to make Anderson County a better place. November, when you still
2: go, go.